I tell you, God is doing wonderful things. You know, someday we're going to see this project that I've been talking about completed. People will come and see it and they'll say, man, look what the Lord's done and they'll be excited. But you know, right now, tonight, God is moving and things are happening, but you just have to see it by faith. There's some people that aren't going to get excited until they can see it with their physical eyes, but we're experiencing a miracle. This is a miracle tonight. These people that have been testifying about healing, these Bible college directors, the things that have been doing, I've talked to so many people that their life is being changed. You know, it's happening right now. We just don't have something physical necessarily to indicate it. But there is a mighty miracle taking place. There's some awesome things being done. And many of you don't appreciate it the way maybe Jamie and I do because we remember back when it was just the two of us and we have a perspective that you don't. But I tell you what, if you could see by faith God is here in our midst and God is doing some awesome, awesome things. And so uh, I just encourage you, you know, to open up your heart and receive this because it really is more blessed to walk by faith than it is to walk by sight. You can actually get to where living by faith and seeing things in your heart is more real than seeing them with your eyes. And I'm excited about that. You know, David reminded me that we have about 300 people watching by uh, the Internet right now that are on the Internet. And uh, we welcome you. But also, if you want to be a part of what's happening, there's a place on our website that you can go and you can sign up to be a foundation builder and you can give right there online. And, of course, any of you here that want to think about it and pray about it, if the Lord ever speaks to you about being a part of that, you can go online and, and do that right there. So we encourage you to take advantage of that. Tonight, let's turn back over to the 14th chapter of the book of Matthew. I'm going to continue to talk about last uh, Monday night, I talked about the feeding of the 5,000. And then last night, I started talking about immediately after Jesus fed the 5,000, he constrained his disciples to get into his ship and to go to the other side. Not to go halfway and drown, but to go to the other side. And yet they ran into opposition. They ran into a storm. And what's normally a two-hour trip at the maximum turned out to be somewhere around nine hours later, they were only halfway across. And if I had to put a title on what I was talking about last night, what I was talking about is how to position yourself for a miracle. Everybody wants a miracle. Everybody wants to see something dramatic and have a testimony. But you know what? Very few people will position themselves for a miracle. There's a reason why some people receive miracles and others don't. And last night I was talking about how God told them to head in a direction. And even though it was terrible opposition and it could have cost them their life, they were still headed in the direction that God gave them. They didn't turn around and head for safety. And I tell you, there's so many people that just take an easy way out. They kind of test the waters and head in the direction God gives them. And if there's any resistance at all, they just say, well, it didn't work out and they quit. I tell you, last night I was sharing some things that are really, really important about how to position yourself for a miracle. The Lord wants to do miracles in every person's life, but there are things that we can do that can put us in that position. You know, you hear people say all of the time that lightning never strikes twice in the same place and that it's totally random. But I've read some things that s suggest that that's not true, that there's actually uh, places that attract lightning. For instance, we use a lightning rod and lightning will strike that instead of some other structure. And uh, I have some friends of mine 
that I was just talking to recently. They used to be employees and uh, they lived out by where we do. And, you know, Colorado has more lightning strikes than any other place in the nation because of our uh, low humidity here. And I read one thing that we had over 7,000 lightning strikes inside the city limits in one night not too long ago. And uh, they very seldom do any damage, but there's a lot of lightning around here. And these friends of ours, they had a mobile home. And I mean, every month, some appliance would be blown out because lightning would strike and blow up their television, blow up their toaster, blow up their microwave. And it was happening all of the time. And anyway, one time lightning struck their place and instantly incinerated it. They had two dogs that were in the house and they never even moved. They burned to death right in the spot where they were. And uh, they had insurance that replaced their house and the insurance wanted to build it back in the same place. But Chellis, the man who was, uh, you know, the husband of this family, he said that they had a garage that was a detached garage and it had never one time been struck by lightning. And so he argued with them. He says, I'm not building that house back in that same spot because we had problems every month. He says, I'm moving it over here and putting it by this garage. And he had to fight them. But did you know he moved that over there? And it has, it's been now, how many years? 15 years. And it has never ever had an appliance go out or any kind of thing. And they only moved it like from here to that wall, but they moved it. There was something that actually attracts lightning. I've actually uh, heard people say this, that they've taken slow motion pictures and lightning doesn't actually come from the sky down as it looks. There's actually a negative charge in it and it comes up and it meets. My point is that, see, people think that God's movement in your life is kind of like lightning. There's no way to control it. You have nothing to do with it. Well, we certainly don't generate the power, but there are things that you can do that make yourself a candidate for a miracle, that draw the power of God. And one of those things, this is basically a summary of what I was trying to say last night, is that you position yourself for a miracle when you seek God, when he gives you a word and then you head in that direction. And if it hair lips ever devil in hell, you will not change. If it looks like you're going to die, you still do what God told you to do with your last breath. And if you will just keep doing that, you will have opposition, but that is when you experience the miraculous power of God. Man, that is important. And that's basically what we were talking about last night. And so many people want this end results, but they don't ever position themselves. They don't ever really get going in the direction that God wants them to because it's just not convenient. I can tell you it's always inconvenient to serve God. It is not easy on your flesh. It's always good to serve God. You're going to be benefited. I'm not saying that it's terrible. It's a wonderful thing. You know, people talk about if you go to the foreign field that you're suffering for Jesus. You know, there's hardships. We've got Leland and Ann down here that live in Uganda. And we've got other directors, you know, in some of these third world countries. And there are some hardships. It's not easy, but the benefits are so much greater. I've got Bobby and Lynn Crow, good friends of mine, who've been in Ciudad Victoria for 22 years or something. They've raised their family down there. And, you know, they have some problems. 
But man, I've heard Bobby say often that he is so thankful to God that he lives in Mexico and that he raised his family down there. He is so thankful he didn't bring them up in the pagan culture in the United States. And his kids are all serving God and he's just thankful. You know, if God calls you to do something, the benefit is always going to far outweigh the cost. But you're naive if you think that because you're serving God, there's no opposition. You can nearly say that if there is no opposition, I doubt if you aren't, I doubt if you found the will of God. If you never bump into the devil, it's because you're both headed the same direction. So praise God. You just need to recognize that there, you need to position yourself for a miracle. So that's what we've already talked about. And uh, then in Matthew chapter 14, I got up to, let's start reading at verse 26. It says, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Of course, the deal is they started across the sea. They experienced this uh, resistance nearly nine hours later. They'd only gone one hour's worth of journey. And in the midst of this terrible situation, Jesus came walking on top of the very thing that was about to kill them. No problem to Jesus. Man, I talked to so many people. I talked to four people with terminal cancer in a row out here tonight and prayed for them. And every one of them was just overwhelmed. It was terminal cancer. And I, every one of them, I'm saying, it's no big deal. Cancer is not hard. Cancer is not a problem. It's when you let cancer get in your mind, let it get in your thinking and you get discouraged and fearful. That's what the problem is. But it doesn't take any more power to heal cancer than it takes to heal a cold. Man, cancer is not hard. Nothing is hard for God. It's only the fact that the doctor says you're going to die from cancer and they don't tell you you're going to die from a cold. So you don't have as much unbelief associated with a, with a cold. That's the only difference. There is no difference. It doesn't take more power to heal cancer than it does a cold. It's the same anointing that heals them all. You heard Scott testify about this. He was believing for the healing of the stomach problems and other things. But when he got it, his asthma was healed. The same power that heals your stomach, heals asthma, heals cancer, heals AIDS, heals blindness, heals deafness. There aren't different anointings. It's the same power of God. Jesus was walking on top of the very thing that was destroying them. And man, one of the things that I have to constantly minister to people is it's not hard for Jesus. Jesus is not sitting in heaven, wringing his hands, wondering if he can actually do this. You know, I talked to our, our prayer ministers before we started these meetings and I went in and just encouraged them. And I said, you know, talk big. Tell the people that, man, that's no problem. If you see somebody in a wheelchair that can't move, say, no problem. Talk big. And you know, when you say this, people have a tendency to say, man, should we do that? And we get to thinking that God's up in heaven saying, oh, don't talk big, man. Don't tell them I can do this, you know. Maybe God will be intimidated by somebody's problem. God's not like that. Man, the Lord's wanting to do bigger things than what we've ever dreamed of. We limit God by our small thinking. In the name of Jesus, I am not going to get off the subject. But let me just give a real quick testimony. I won't spend much time on this. But some of you may have heard this in 2002, January the 31st, 2002, the Lord told me I was limiting him by my small thinking. And I mean, we had doubled in two years. We had gone on television. Our income had doubled. The number of people that we reached had doubled. Everything had doubled. 
And we had increased a lot. And I thought that I was trusting God and reaching out there. And God told me I was limiting him by my small thinking. It's a long story, but I got hold of it. I told my staff, I said, I don't know how long it takes, a month, a year, two years, but I'm going to change the way I'm believing. And I am going to take the limits off of God. That has been eight years ago. And did you know at that time we had less than 30 employees? Now we have 200 employees. We were reaching approximately 1% to 2% of the U.S. population. Now we reach 2.2 billion people with the gospel truth. Our Bible school was less than 100 people. Now, counting all of the Bible schools and stuff and correspondence, we're reaching thousands of people. There's about 1,000 people in all of our Bible schools about a thousand people in correspondence and online. So we're reaching thousands of people. All of this has happened in eight years because I quit limiting God. And I tell you what, I really believe that this isn't something that is peculiar to me. I think most of us get to feeling like we're imposing on God and we're asking something too big for God. The disciples were about to drown, and I'm sure they thought this was a terrible situation, a hard one, even for God. And here Jesus just comes walking on the water. No big deal. He would have walked right by them. No problem. Man, that's awesome. That really ministers to me. I don't know if that helps you, but I've gone back to this a lot of times when I feel overwhelmed. I just go back to this, and it reminds me that the Lord's not you know, in heaven, wringing his hands, wondering how am I going to pull this one off? It's not a problem to God. No big deal. So they saw him walking on the water. They cried out for fear. And in verse 27, he straightway, Jesus spake unto them saying, be of good cheer. It is I be not afraid. I touched on that briefly last night that if he really wanted to just keep them from being afraid and be of good cheer, why didn't he solve the problem? Stop the storm. It's because there has to be some response of faith on our part. God only moves through faith. It takes faith. Ephesians 3.20, unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. The word according to means to the proportion of or to the degree of the power that works in us. No faith working in us. God cannot do anything. And that is just a radical concept to a lot of people. They think God moves independent of people, but that's not so. God always, always, always has to have a person that he flows through. God does not sovereignly control and do things. And this is the reason that we see things in such a mess is because there's so few people that are letting the power of God work in them. It's God's will for every person to be healed, but he has to have somebody that will stand up and proclaim this truth and go out and lay hands on them. He told us to heal the sick. He didn't tell us to pray for the healing of the sick and ask God to do it. He told us, Matthew 10, 8, you heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. It's a command. And the problem isn't that God doesn't want to heal people. The problem is there's so few people who will take their authority and stand up boldly and say, cancer's no problem, no big deal. Cancer in the name of Jesus, be dead. Get out of this person. Amen. That's the problem. We have to take our authority. And so he told them to be of good cheer, trying to solicit a response of faith because he wouldn't have been able to move in their behalf if there hadn't have been a positive response. And then look at this in verse 28. It says, And Peter answered and said, Lord, 
If it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Man, there is a lot in that verse. Let me just point out, there were 12 people in that boat. Only one of them, only one of them desired to do what Jesus did. Do you know what? Every one of them could have asked, can I walk on the water? Lord, bid me come unto you on the water. Peter's the only one. And you know, I believe that this is pretty typical. One out of 12 Christians. That's somewhere around, what would that be? Seven, eight percent. Eight percent of Christians really want to do something miraculous and believe that they're going to do something that is just totally out there beyond the realm of natural. Most Christians are trying to play it too safe. They're afraid to get out of the boat. And yet, look at it this way. The scripture says here that the boat was full, that they were sinking, they were drowning. They said, save us, we perish. You know, if you really sit down and think about it, what was the difference between getting out there and walking on the water and being in the boat? The boat was full of water. It was going down. There was very little difference. There was really very little to lose. If they stayed there and if nothing supernatural happened, they were going to drown. And yet people are afraid to get out of a drowning boat and try and walk on the water. You know, if you stop and make a comparison here, this world is hurting. People are miserable. People are depressed. They have to take pills to go to bed and pills to wake up. And they're discouraged and they're fearful and the world is just drowning. And yet people are afraid to be different. They're afraid not to be like everybody else. They're afraid of what somebody will say about them. They're afraid to be different and yet the world is drowning. The world is miserable. Being normal is grossly overrated. All normal is, is that you aren't the best and you aren't the worst. You're just mediocre. You know what? God didn't make any of us to be normal. Every one of us should be supernatural. If you aren't supernatural, you're superficial. You've been born again. You've got the supernatural power of God. There ought to be something different about you. People ought to be able to look at you and say, how is it? that you are always rejoicing, even when something goes wrong in your life. How come that when everybody else is in a recession, you're blessed? You know, our income, we have just exploded. We're doing all of this expansion and got this huge program going in a quote unquote recession. This is a great time for believers to be doing things. We got property for about 25% of what it's worth because the world is operating in fear. This is when you ought to be buying. This, because it'll turn around. I said this back in uh, 2008 before we had any signs of anything. When they were talking about it's the worst depression since the Great Depression, which was a lie. It's not true. The 80s, we had about, uh, I think it was uh, 12% unemployment. They talk, they compare all of this to the Great Depression. Did you know that there was over 50% foreclosure rate and the worst foreclosure rate that there has been during this depression has been less than 6%. 50% compared to 6% and people are making comparisons. 
It's scare-tastic. It's people trying to grab control and push their socialist agenda and do all kinds of things. I guarantee you, I said nearly two years ago that this thing is a crock. I'm not saying that there aren't some problems and there needs to be a withdrawal from those policies where they were in the state of Colorado. They made over 10,000 loans. The government made over 10,000 mortgages to illegal aliens in Colorado. That's dumb. That needs to stop. These mortgages where you give people no interest in things and you have them go for five years and pay nothing on the principal and just make the entrance pavements. That's a train wreck waiting to happen. It violates all of the principles of the word of God. That bubble needs to be popped. I'm not saying that there hasn't been some adjustments and things, but it's not the way that it's been presented. We've been lied to. Things aren't that bad. During a recession when everybody else is talking about how bad it is, man, Christians ought to be believing God and buying up things because I guarantee you it'll come back around and you will be blessed. You know, when we bought this property, our board looked at it and stuff and they said, you know what, this is a no-brainer. Even if you never build on that, buy it and in five years sell it for $15 million profit. You're ahead, amen. We had a banker come look at it and he didn't even look at all the property. He looked at the lodge and he says, this lodge is worth what they're asking. He says, tell them if they don't buy it, I'll buy it. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, you don't have to go through this. Jamie and I, since the recession hit, have made 61% profit in the uh, stock market. It's gone down 50% and we've made 61% profit. Somebody say, how do you do that? Who's your broker? It's God. I'm just saying that, you know what? We need to not be afraid to be different and and do something different than everybody else. Peter could have just sat there in the boat and have hung on to the security of that boat and yet it was sinking. And I'm sure all of the other apostles thought, you're crazy to get out of this boat. They were drowning. And yet they're calling him crazy. Tell me who's crazy. Man, if you want to walk on the water, you're going to have to get out of the boat. And yet everybody's afraid to get out of the boat. Everybody's afraid to do anything different. We want to be just like everybody else and be accepted. I'm telling you, if you are going to see the supernatural power of God in your life, somebody is going to consider you weird. Somebody is going to look at you and you're going to be criticized. It'll cost you family. And you know, God will bring things around. My family thought that I actually went insane. But you know, now my family is all on my side and they are, my mother, it was just amazing how she came around and supported me and it took 20 years, but you know what? It, it worked. God will pull you through if you can stay in the pool. It'll work, but you got to do something different. If you want different results, do something different. And yet everybody is so pressed and conformed to this world. The Bible says in, he, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word conform there means don't be poured into the mold of this world. 
Did you know life melts you? Life is melting every one of us. You can't just stay the same. You are going to change. But the good news is you get to pick the mold that you fit into. You can't keep from being melted, but you can pick the mold. You can choose to be a fanatic. You can choose to believe God or you can choose to be like everybody else. Man, I just, you know, people criticize Peter and they say, yeah, he began to sink, but he's the only other person besides Jesus that ever walked on the water. Say what you want to, Peter walked on the water. Peter was impetuous. He was always spouting off and saying something and sticking his foot in his mouth. Sometimes the only time he ever opened his mouth was to change feet. But you know what? Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water. You know, I've had friends before that I've had people say, tell this person to stop doing this and stop doing this. And I said, you know what? There are uh, liabilities that go along with people that there is no filter between their brain and their mouth. But at the same time, some of those people that just are quick to do things, they're the kind that God uses because they're the only kind that'll get out there and take a risk. Most of us are playing it so safe that nothing ever happens. You got There is risk to walking in the miraculous. And I'm just telling you, brothers and sisters, most of us are playing it too safe. Peter was one of those that says, Lord, if it's really you, bid me come unto you on the water. Now you need to temper that with a little bit of wisdom. Because let me ask you this. What would Peter, what would have happened if Peter would have said, Lord... Do you want me to come on the water? Lord, is my faith up to walking on the water? Is this your will for me to walk on the water? He might've got a different answer, but he says, if it's you, didn't me come unto you on the water? What was the Lord going to say? Don't come because it's not me. <laughs> it was him. And so the way that he asked this question, there was no, nothing that the Lord could do except say, come, amen. You know, I learned a long time ago that you need to be careful how you ask questions. When I was in the Baptist church, you know, I just, man, I was excited. And every time I opened my mouth and began to talk about what God was showing me, I was shot down and told I was of the devil and then speaking in tongues is of the devil. And I was criticized and it warred on my faith. And I tell you, I came close to being snuffed out by all of the criticism and stuff. And finally it got so bad that I started praying, God, do you want me to leave the Baptist church? Don't you love the Baptist? Do you just want the Baptist to go to hell? Don't you care about them? Now, how is God going to answer a prayer like that? Say, so, yes, I don't I leave because I don't care about the Baptist. I don't love them. Let them all go to hell. No, he wasn't going to say that. The way I asked that question, there was no option except for the Lord to stay, say, stay, say, say, stay. Did I say that right? There was no option but for the Lord to say to me, stay, because he did love the Baptist. And the way I asked that question, it didn't leave him any options. If I would have said, Lord, do you want me to be in here? I believe he'd have said, go. And finally, it got so bad. I was sitting in a church service and they were countering everything and preaching wrath and condemnation. And I believe that the pastor was specifically trying to put me in my place in front of all of those people. And I had my Bible open to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He that prays in an unknown tongue edifies himself. And I was praying in tongues under my breath, trying to keep my nose above water, keep from drowning in the unbelief. And I remember sitting in that church service and finally saying, God, 
do you want me to stay here? And I didn't put all these other conditions on it. And I mean, it was nearly an audible voice. No, leave. (laughs) First time I asked that way, he said, leave. And I got out and praise God, it was good. And I went on and I'm ministering to more Baptists today than I ever would have ministered to if I'd have stayed in that little church and drowned with them. So anyway, it's important how you ask your question. But Peter, because of the way he asked it, he wanted to get out there. If Jesus could do it, he wanted to do it. You know, that's kind of a good attitude. We were in South Africa not long ago. That's where Carlin has a a Bible school down there in Heidelberg, South Africa. And I was there last year. And we interviewed a couple. I forget their names right now, but uh, a South African couple who saw my DVDs of Hannah's story and all of these that we were talking about tonight, they saw those and they looked at that and they said, why can't we do that? They saw people that were getting changed and miracles were happening and they said, why can't we do that? And based on that one thing, they decided that they were going to start praying for people. And At that time, that was a year ago, they had over 700 people who had been born again. They had, I forgot, 50 teams that they had sent out and they had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people healed, blind eyes open, deaf ears open, and miraculous things happening because somebody saw another person's testimony and they said, why can't we do that? And they just decided they'd get out of the boat and start doing it. And you know what? They, they were just lay people in the church. They, didn't, they weren't full-time ministers. And they started seeing so much results that their pastor has now uh, ordained them, given them a ministry, and they have their own ministry going, and they're full-time, and they're just seeing awesome things happen. Some of my staff left to go over to uh, Durban, South Africa, and help them in their ministry. And man, they are seeing thousands of people's lives changed because they saw a testimony. And they said, why can't we do that? In a sense, that's what Peter was doing. Peter saw Jesus walking on the water. And man, he thought, well, if Jesus can do this, I can do this. Lord, if it's you, bid me come unto you on the water. You know, you ought to get that attitude. You ought to read the testimonies of people. You ought to read what's going on in the Bible. And you say, the Bible says, the works that I do shall you do also. And it is beneficial to have a holy dissatisfaction with being normal. You ought to get to a place to God. Why can't we do that? Why don't we see the blind eyes open? Why don't we see deaf ears open? Why don't we see miracles happen? You ought to be discontent with just drowning in the boat and being like everybody else and afraid to leave the security of it. There's a lot of people that criticize me because I talk about that God has given us power and we can command the power of God. And you know what? When you start taking that attitude, it's risky. It's a lot easier to just say, Lord, if it be your will, heal this person. And if they get healed, then you say, thank you, Jesus. And if they die, well, it must be God's will. God works in mysterious ways. It's, it's a chicken way out. It's a simple way of living. Just pray and say, oh God, we have nothing. We can do nothing. We are nothing without you. Somebody says, well, isn't that true? Well, yeah, it's true that without him, we can do nothing, but it's untrue that I am without him. He said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. 
So you shouldn't be praying that way and saying, oh Lord, we are nothing and we have nothing. You ought to come and say, thank you, Father, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of me. And therefore, I am going to start praying for people and I'm going to start seeing the same works that Jesus did. I'm going to do also. You're going to have to get out of the boat. You're going to have to be different than somebody else to see the miraculous power of God work. Amen. I'm preaching better than you're listening. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, most of us are just shooting at nothing and hitting it every time. We need to raise the standard. You ought to get dissatisfied with just being normal. You know, I can stand persecution. I've had a lot of persecution. I can stand being persecuted. You know what I can't stand is being ignored. If you're being ignored, it's because you aren't operating in the power of the Holy Ghost. Everywhere that Jesus went, he had a revival or a riot, but never indifference. Man, when Jesus showed up, the demons cried out. The demons started leaving. But I guarantee you, Jesus made a difference. I can stand rejection. I can stand persecution, but man, I can't stand people just ignoring me. That means I'm not operating in the power of God. You should get to a place to where you make a difference. When you go to work, people ought to know that you're a Christian. People ought to know that something's different. You know, I get around people and I'll be there and they'll start to say something. They'll stop and say, oh, uh, no, I shouldn't say that. And you know what? I didn't say anything to them, but they just know what I believe. And stuff. It ought to be that people know what you believe. It ought to be that when you're at work and people start bad mouthing and talking about how it's flu season, have you got the flu yet? That they know, uh oh, uh, you know, I know you don't believe in the flu. You don't do these things. They ought to be able to tell a difference in you. And yet, most of us can blend in so much that nobody knows you're a Christian. Man, that's not the way that God intended it to be. You need to get out of the boat. You need to go to believing for something. You know, when your life is over and they're having your funeral, praise God, I hope somebody says that they miss me. That my life made a difference. I've been to some funerals that basically people say, well, <laughs> nobody will miss him. Didn't do anything. He was just like everybody else. Nothing special. Brothers and sisters, God created us for something more than what most of us are doing. Just getting up and going to work and coming home and being miserable and watching television and then repeating it all the next morning is not what God made you for. God has a big plan for your life. God's not called every person in here to be in ministry and be behind a pulpit. We need people on the marketplace. We need people at their jobs, but we need people who are doing their jobs supernaturally as unto the Lord who are doing it in a way that they're making a difference where they are. We need people who are lawyers and doctors and politicians who are Christians. We need all of those things. But I guarantee you, you ought to, you ought to be fired up and out of the normal and expecting something special. Man, praise God for Peter. He at least got out of the boat and made a demand on God. Every one of these disciples could have done it. Jesus would have told every one of them he could do it. But only one person did it? One out of 12. Did you know every person in here could be living a life that is absolutely supernatural? 
so that when you look back, you're just overwhelmed with all of the goodness of God. Every person in here could do that. God has a supernatural plan for every person. And yet there's probably about one out of 12 in here that have really done something different with their life that are believing God for something big and more than just average. Most people are content with being average. Most people are content with being in a drowning boat. That's sufficient for most people. You know, I hope I'm making some of you discontent with just being normal. We have people want to come to our Bible school all of the time, but you know what? They've got their dream home. They've got their grandchildren. They've got retirement. Larry Hodge, I don't know where he is right now, but he's over here. Larry and Donna Hodge, man, he had his life planned out. He took retirement, had him a beautiful motor home, and he was going to travel the world and fish, amen, and stay on the beach. And he came to Karis Bible College to honor Donna, to humor her for one year. And then he says, I'm out of here. And you know what? He sat under the word for one year and he got stirred up. And you know, there's nothing wrong with desiring to fish and do this. But now Larry and Donna are traveling the world and changing people's lives and their life is making a difference. And praise God, there's something more than just retiring and sitting down and doing nothing. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your grandkids, but there's something more important than just sitting there and playing with your grandkids. Man, give them a legacy. Give them some exploits that will inspire them and let them see somebody who literally gave their life to change the world and make a difference. Get out and do something. I really believe God's trying to stir you up. You need to believe for something big. If what you're believing for is something that can be attained in the natural, if all you're looking for is 40 years on a job and taking retirement and sitting down and doing nothing, people that don't know God can do that. Believe God for something that it takes, His supernatural intervention. Start praying and saying, God, what am I here for? How is my life supposed to make a difference? And start believing God for something. Start praying for your neighbors. Start seeing people saved. Start using what God has given you. Believe for something that's supernatural. That's what Peter did. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come unto you on the water. And Jesus said in verse 29, come. One word. (laughs) One word. Four letters. Come. Probably wasn't four letters in Greek. (laughs) But in the English, it's four letters. And did you know that one word had enough power in it that Jesus walked on the water? It doesn't take a lot. All you need is just one little word from God. Just the slightest instruction from God, if you will mix it with faith, it's enough to walk on top of your problems. All you need is just one little encouraging word from God. And I guarantee it's enough to put you over, put you through. It's enough to make you an overcomer. All you need is one word. God created the heavens and the earth by his word. He holds it together by his word. And one word from Jesus was enough for Peter to walk on the water. You know, I'm amazed. And you go over to these... 
third world countries. People have never heard the gospel. And you start sharing with them that it's God's will for them to be healed. First time they ever hear it in their life, they get up and miracles happen. Blind eyes open, deaf ears open. Miracles happen. You come to America and people have to sit and be pounded with the word of God day after day and told a hundred, a thousand times and their faith just isn't strong enough. And yet here's people that have never heard it and they latch on to it. We have been baptized in unbelief. We have become so accustomed to the Word of God and familiar with it that we don't understand the power that's in it. Other people who have never heard these kind of things, man, it's fresh to them. They hear somebody say that by His stripes we're healed and it's just they mix it with faith and miracles happen. You may not agree with that assessment, but America is baptized in unbelief. I believe that we're just as religious as the Jews of Jesus' day. Traditions and doctrines of men have made the word of God of none effect. There needs to be an absolute revolution in the body of Christ and change us from the way that we've been. And all we got to do is just believe the word. One word from God is enough. Man, I've had people before come up and say, well, I know... Isaiah 53, 4, that by stripes we're healed. I know Isaiah chapter, um, or excuse me, uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, that this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, that he bore our infirmities and carried our sicknesses. I know 3 John 1, 2, that he wishes above all things that we be in health and prosper even as our soul prosper. I know 1 Peter 2, 24, that by his stripes we worry. I know all of those, but do you have another scripture for me that it is God's will? I've actually had that asked. And they quoted all of those scriptures. And yet somebody in another country hears by his stripes we're healed, just a portion of one scripture and boom, they get up and they're instantly healed. I tell you, it doesn't take a lot. It just takes absolute confidence and faith and belief in what God said. And so the Lord said, come. And Peter got out of the water. It says, when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water. Notice he didn't walk on water until he got out of the ship. You got to come down out of the ship. You got to get out of being normal. You got to get to a place to where being like everybody else isn't sufficient you got to quit being that way before you can walk on water. And it says he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. In beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. Boy, there is so much in this verse. I can't say all of this. But he walked on the water. And in the next verse, I believe it is. Verse 31, it says, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Now pay attention to this. It didn't say that Jesus ran to Peter and grabbed him and lifted him up. It just says he stretched forth his hand. You know, here's what I believe that let's say that Peter had to walk from here to the back of this room. As long as he was out there in the middle of nothing, Walking on water, man, he was focused on Jesus. He was looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of his faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says that. He had his focus on Jesus because he was out in a position that if Jesus didn't come through, he was going to drown. And so he was focused on Jesus. But when he nearly was up to Jesus, I believe that he was right up to him like he had done it. 
He had accomplished it. He walked all the way to Jesus. Then's when he took his eyes off of Jesus and saw the wind and the waves because Jesus didn't run and catch him. It just says he reached out his hand. So he walked all the way to Jesus. But when he got to a place that it looked like he'd accomplished his goal, then he took his eyes off of Jesus. He was no longer God dependent and he began to sink. Boy, there is a huge lesson in that. And you know what that is that A lot of people say that when you're in hardship and when you're in trial, this will show whether you're really committed to God. Actually, it's the opposite. I believe people that only have a partial commitment to God seek God with their whole heart when they're in the midst of a trial and they know that they're going to die if God doesn't come through. If the doctor tells you you're going to die, man, anybody, even a mediocre Christian will start fasting and praying and seeking God because they have to have a miracle. People tend to seek God when their back is against the wall, but when everything seems to be okay is a greater test of whether you are really following God. When the pressure is gone, when there's no pressure on you, what will you do then? That really reveals where your heart is. And the sad fact is most people in prosperity when their goal is nearing fulfillment, when it looks like that things are going well, most people then quit seeking God and take their attention off of God and tend to start looking around and getting satisfied with their situation. And I believe that contentment and satisfaction, prosperity has destroyed more people than hardship ever has. You are actually at your weakest when everything is going good because you tend to not seek the Lord as much. Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, so don't respond outwardly to this, but I'm just asking you, do an inventory right now. When do you pray the most? When do you seek the Lord the most? When is it that you study the Word? When is it that you are more focused on God? The vast majority of people would have to say when it's your back against the wall and you're in trouble, that's when you get serious seeking God. And then as things improve, most people get to watch and as the stomach turns on television and they turn away from God and they get to looking at things around them and you know what? It causes them to sink. And so they go in these cycles. They go through a mountaintop and then a valley and a mountaintop and a valley. God never ordained that. The scripture says that when he comes, every mountain would be brought low and every valley would be exalted. If you bring the mountains down and the valleys up, that means it should be smooth sailing for the believer. This mountaintop and valley up and down yo-yo experience isn't God's will. But it happens because we get in trouble and seek God and that causes us to prosper because we have our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And then as the Lord brings you through your problem, then we go back to being carnal and not seeking him because after all, there's no problem. So let's go out and eat, drink, and be merry. And pretty soon you're going to be in trouble if you aren't seeking God. And so we hit the valley again and then we blame it on God and say, this is God doing it to us. God didn't ordain this. Peter walked on the water because he had his attention on Jesus, the author and the finisher of his faith. But when he got close, he took his eyes off of Jesus saw the wind and the waves. And think about this. What did the wind and the waves have to do with him walking on the water? He couldn't have walked on the water if there hadn't have been any wind or waves. If it had been a totally, you know, I, just like glass, if the water had been totally still, he still couldn't have walked on the water. 
The wind and the waves didn't have anything to do with him walking on the water. It's just the simple fact that he took his, uh, his focus off of Jesus and he began to look at the natural. He wasn't looking at pornography. He wasn't looking at X-rated something. It wasn't sin. He just saw the wind and the waves, natural things. You don't have to be occupied with X-rated, ungodly things. You don't have to be a God-hater. You don't have to be in total rebellion. Just get to looking at the natural realm. Just live in the natural realm. Get to where you know everything that's going on in the natural realm. Listen to every rotten piece of news that comes around. Listen to every dire prediction about how the world is going to fail and how that this recession is the worst thing since the Great Depression. Just listen to all of the lies and the deception that comes. Get your eyes off of Jesus and don't, you don't have to get into sin. Just look at carnal, natural things and you'll sink because you can't walk on water thinking naturally, thinking like everybody else. And brothers and sisters, this is where so many Christians are today. It's not that you're living an ungodly life in the sense that you're rebelling at God. It's just that you're consumed with just the natural. You know everything there is to know about every sport and about all of the players. And you can give me the who won the World Series and who won the Super Bowl. And you know all of the trivia and you can win all of these things. And you're sinking because you're just occupied with carnal stuff that doesn't amount to anything. It'll cause you to sink. And notice it says he began to sink. I've never seen anybody begin to sink in my life. <laughs> you know, if we had some water right here and if I had you walk on it, you'd just sink. You wouldn't begin to sink. You'd just sink all at once. But Peter was walking on the water by faith and he began to sink. And there is a great truth in this. And the Lord has used this in my life. This is, a, this is a great revelation. But you know what? You don't lose your faith all at once. You don't have fear come upon you like a seizure and it just hits and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed with fear and unbelief. Faith begins to exit slowly. Unbelief comes in slowly. It's a process and if you would understand that, when you see the first signs of you beginning to sink and you start realizing, you know what, I'm not focused on the Lord the way I should be, the way I have been. The moment you see any of these things, man, correct it. Put your eyes back on Jesus. You don't have to sink. It never happens all at once. It's a process. And you know, I see a lot of people, I see people that are doing things that I know unless they correct it, they're going to sink. They're beginning the process. They aren't seeking the Lord the way that they used to be. The scripture says, don't be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We can see what these warning signs are. We can recognize when we start taking our eyes off of Jesus. You know, I recognize that. It happens with me. I get busy with the ministry. It doesn't have to be sin. I can just get so occupied with the ministry, having meetings with the architects and talking about things and trying to figure out how you do this, that after a while you get to where you aren't as sensitive. You know, you aren't thinking on the Lord the way that you should. And the moment I see any of these signs, you know what I'll do? I'll take a day off and I'll fast and I'll pray and I'll seek the Lord. And maybe I've got a lot of things I want to do, but I'll just withdraw and I'll get my mind back on the Lord. You don't sink all at once. There's no reason that you have to go through life experiencing these ups and downs. You can recognize when this begins and just continue to keep Jesus 
the focus of your attention. Take the, make the main thing the main thing. Always be focused on Jesus. And when he began to sink, the Lord lifted out his hand. Now there's another great truth in this. And that is that, you know, some of you are thinking, all right, if I get out of the boat and if I start walking, what happens if I fail? Jesus will reach out and pick you up. And you know what? Jesus had some correction for Peter. Why did you doubt? But Peter did something that nobody else had done. You know, I believe that everything God's showing me is going to work. I really do. But let me just say that if I was to head in this direction and if I was to do what God told me to do, and if I struggle and if I didn't see this project fulfilled, and if we didn't raise Karis Bible College up, and if it didn't make a major impact on the world, you know what? We're going to come close. We're going to be further along the process than we are. And if I failed, I know that the Lord would say, well, you didn't complete it, but praise God, you got further than you ever would have if you were doing nothing. And I believe God would sit there and say, you know what? You tried. And I believe God had blessed me. I believe it's like our kids when they ride a bike. They don't do it all perfectly the first time. They wobble. They may even fall off, but the parent doesn't go up and you say, you say, you stupid kids, you can't even ride a bike. What's wrong with you? No, man, you encourage them. You know what? Get up and try it again. God's at least that good. He's much more than that. You know what? God is not going to be mad at you. I'd rather trust God and fail. I believe that God would at least say, you know what? At least you were operating in faith. Than to sit there and do nothing in total unbelief because it's safe and it's like everybody else. I believe when we stand before the Lord, we're not only going to be judging on what we did, but I believe God's got a plan for every single person's life. And he's going to say, here's the plan. What did you do to accomplish it? And there's going to be some people that may not accomplish everything. Maybe they only got five out of 10 things, but at least they were headed in that direction. And you know what? They're going to be rewarded and blessed more than the person who didn't do anything because after all, it might've cost you your retirement. It might have kept you from fulfilling your lifelong dream and, or whatever else the reason is. Amen. Jesus reached out and picked Peter up. He didn't let him drown. He didn't, let, he didn't say, well, you didn't believe God and so just drown. No, he lifted him up. And there's no indication that he carried him back to the boat. You know, he lifted him up and they walked back to the boat. He got up and walked again. Scripture says that a righteous man will fall seven times and yet get back up. Praise God. Don't be afraid of failure. You know what real failure is? Doing nothing. That's failure. Doing what God tells you to do and stumbling along the way and making a mistake. That's not failure. Riding your bike and falling off a few times, but getting back up and continuing, that's not failure. It's just part of the process. You aren't going to do everything right. You will make some mistakes. There are some people that are trying to be so perfect and they want to do everything perfect that they're just afraid to step out because they might fail. You know what? I, I've told you, I was an introvert. I couldn't look at people. When I first started speaking, man, I'd stutter, do all kinds of things and you know what? For about probably the first 15 years after I ministered, I would never listen to one of my teachings. I'd never listen to my own teachings because I was so critical of it. 
I'd listen and hear me stumble and say all of these things wrong. And I just, if I would have listened to myself, I'd have, said, I'd have never done it. Because it just was, it's never the way I want it to be. I have never preached a perfect message yet. I am never satisfied with anything I've ever said. But you know what? I finally came to a place that God used an old donkey one time and it wasn't because this donkey was the most eloquent or perfect or anything else. And I just figured God could use me. And so I get up and do it the best I can. And God uses me in spite of who I am, not because of who I am. I don't do it perfectly, but you know what? I've just gotten to the place that praise God. I get up and go for it. And I believe that there's a lot of people that are trying to wait until everything in their life is perfect before they step out. And you're never going to do anything. There's a balance here. You need to count the cost. You need to plan. You need to try and anticipate things so that you just don't make constant mistakes. But I tell you, you can't wait until you're perfect and until everything is perfect and all of the planets are aligned before you do what God tells you to do. You just got to jump out there and do it. And if you fall, God will lift you up. Amen. And he told Peter, he says, why did you doubt? Making it very clear that it was because Peter was operating in faith that he walked on that water. And it wasn't because he lost his faith. He still had faith because when he began to sink, he called out to Jesus. He didn't call to the people back in the boat saying, man, what am I doing out here? This must not be real. This really isn't Jesus. It must be a spirit. This can't be real. So he calls back to the people that are in the natural. He didn't respond to them. He kept looking at Jesus. He believed Jesus could walk on the water. He believed he could walk on the water. He called out to Jesus for help. He didn't quit believing that he could walk on the water, but when he saw the wind and the waves, he doubted. And here's another great truth I've learned from this. People will sit here and say, I believe Jesus can do anything. Jesus can heal. But you've got to believe that you can heal in the name of Jesus. Peter believed Jesus could walk on the water. That's why he called out to him. But he quit believing he could walk on the water. It's not enough to believe that Jesus can set somebody free. You've got to believe that Jesus in me can set somebody free. You've got to believe that God empowers you. You've got to believe that you have raising from the dead power. I lay my hands on the sick and they recover. It's not enough to say, Jesus, I believe you can heal this person. It says those who believe will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You've got to believe that God has empowered you, that God indwells you. And the way that that happened in my life was to get this revelation of spirit, soul, and body and realize who I am in Christ. Most of us only know ourselves in the natural. We don't know who we are in Christ. But he rebuked him and he says, Peter, why did you doubt? And brothers and sisters, it's only our doubt that's stopping us. The truth is every one of us have faith. I'm not going to take time tonight to teach on that. But some people think, no, I don't have any faith. If you're born again, the Bible says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. You have faith. You, you can't get born again without faith. You're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. That faith wasn't from yourselves. It was a gift of God. God gave you his faith. You have supernatural God faith. You do not have a faith problem. You have an unbelief problem. The unbelief counterbalances, negates your faith. How does unbelief come? 
the opposite way that faith is similar, but an opposite way that faith comes. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Unbelief comes by hearing anything contrary to the word of God. Unbelief comes by listening to the news, talk about what a terrible recession we have and how that we've got the swine flu and it's a pandemic and millions of people are going to die. It was all a lie. Did you know that there were less people that died this last year from flu? There was 200 and something in the United States and normally there's up to 500 or something. It was the lightest flu season that we've had in decades. It was a lie and yet they said it was a pandemic. They said that the bird flu, the avian flu in 2007, I got a quote from a British official of the British healthcare system. And he said, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when this thing morphs into uh, something that humans can catch. And he said, one third of the world's population will be dead in two years time. That was October, 2005. In October, 2007, I read a deal in the UK and it said that there had been a total of 12 deaths from avian flu worldwide. It was a lie. It was a deception. It was wrong. And you know what? If you listen to that stuff without recognizing it's a lie and judging it and casting it down, it's going to cause fear in you. It's going to cause you to walk around with a mask on, afraid that you're going to catch something from somebody else. And then you'll wonder, why is it that I'm always sick? Because you're listening to the lies. Unbelief comes by hearing all of these lies and all of these things. And it hinders our faith. One of the first things people do when the doctor tells you you got something, you start studying up on it. You go to the internet and read about every person who's died and every rotten thing. And you amass this huge amount of unbelief and fear that comes from listening to only people talk about the negative things. And then after you got this huge mountain of faith, I mean of unbelief, you go and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to believe you. And you wonder why you're struggling. Because you got this mountain of unbelief that you've accumulated. You go back and remember Aunt Susie who died of the same thing and think about that and envision your own funeral and then you say, I'm going to believe God after you've already let all of this unbelief in. You know, again, the testimony of Alan Moore, if you watch our DVD that's not out yet. <laughs> but it's coming out soon. I guarantee you Debbie was strong as horseradish. She refused to listen to the doctors. She refused to go by what they say to the point that they thought you're missing it. This woman is in shock. She's not paying attention. And she finally had to tell them, I understand what you're saying, but you don't understand. Man, if she would have listened to the doctors and had gone by them and gone by what they said, Alan wouldn't be with us today. He'd be dead. You have, to get, you have to guard your heart against unbelief, and most of us don't. Most of us are absorbed into this carnal culture. I take no joy in saying this, but we have a post-Christian culture in the United States. It is not godly. It is ungodly. It is filling us full of unbelief. And I tell you what, you've got to resist that, or you won't be able to walk on water. Amen? Amen? These are real simple truths, but you know what? They're truths that God has used in my life, and I'm living them right now in this process that I'm in. Amen?
Must be time to go get the kids. <laughs> Praise God. I thought I had until 9.30. They called them five minutes early. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I just want to challenge you. Praise God. Believe God for something. Anybody can believe God for nothing. Believe God for something. Make your life count. Get out of the boat. Do exploits. They that know their God will be strong and do exploits. Man, do something. Believe God for something. Get out there on a limb. Get out of the boat. Do something. And if you fail, big deal. At least you tried. God would be more pleased with that than people that are doing nothing. And you know, let me just put in a, a plug for our Karis Bible College. There are many of you that don't even know what to believe for. You have no vision of anything. And you don't know. You know what? The step for many of you could just be to come to Bible college. That would be a tremendous step. And whether God calls you into the ministry, you'd make a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, a better person at work. You'd make a better grandparent to have time with your kids. There's nothing that you can lose. I've actually had people walk up to me before and say, well, I want to come, but I'm just not sure it's God. You know what? Think of this. Would the devil tell you to come to Bible college and sit under the word four hours a day for two years, two or three years? If you have a desire to do it, who do you think gave you this desire? The natural carnal self doesn't believe for stuff like this. It's God that put that desire in your heart. And some of you, you start talking like this and you're just afraid. Well, what would, what would happen here and there? Man, just go for it. You need to go for it. How many people know in your heart that God's calling you to do something more than what you're experiencing? You, you know that there's something more than what you're experiencing and you just aren't doing it. Did you know what? That's probably a majority of people in here. And I'm saying to you, don't leave this conference without having made a decision that, praise God, I'm going to get out of the boat. I'm going to seek God until I get a word from God, and then I'm going to do it. I'm going to move in that direction. Brothers and sisters, if you'll do it, I guarantee you, you'll be, you'll be thrilled with the results. There will be problems along the way. You'll have some hardships. You know, as we had our director's meetings Man, they've, they've had some trouble. Cindy Quarles down here was so burnt out going day and night that she was ready to quit. Leland built a fire under her and she made some decisions and praise God she's renewed. It's tough. It's tough doing some of these things. But you know what? The rewards are out of this world. It's tremendous. If you're looking for the easiest path, you'll miss God. I can guarantee you it's going to cost you something. It'll cost you your depression, your sickness, your poverty, your mediocrity. It'll cost you a lot. Amen. But it'll be well worth it. Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters. And I'm asking, Father, that you would just light a fire on the inside of people to get out of the normal, to quit sinking with the rest of the world and being miserable. 
And Father, do something so that when they wake up in the morning, they're just thrilled because of the supernatural things that you are doing in their life because they've begun a journey. Father, I pray that you stir people up. I rebuke the fear. I rebuke the mediocrity that holds people down. These weights that keep us from running the race that's in front of us. Father, I believe that those things are leaving. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. You know, right now in my heart, I just feel like the Lord is saying, there are some of you that say, are saying, God, I'll serve you as long as it doesn't cost me this. As long as it doesn't cost me my little nest that I've created. As long as it doesn't cost me my retirement. As long as it doesn't cost me this or that. You just need to remove all of those things. And you just need to say, God, I'll serve you, period. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. You need to take the limits off of God. I believe God's calling people to do that here. Praise the Lord. You know, Isaiah said that he heard a voice saying, Who will go for me? And Isaiah said, Here am I. Lord, send me. And it's like Jamie was saying tonight, if you say send me, God can wrap you up. He can package you. He knows how to put the postage on you. He will get you to the right place. But he is not going to send you until you become willing. Until you make this commitment, you have to say, God, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. And I'm just, I know by the spirit of the Lord that there's people in here tonight that you haven't done that. You haven't given God the freedom. And God's not going to cast his pearls before the swine. He's not going to tell you his will for you until he gets this commitment that, you know what, I'll do anything. God, I'll go anywhere. Because if the Lord was to tell you without your heart being yielded unto him, you'd wind up rebuking it and saying, that couldn't be God. You'd wind up resisting it. And it would actually make you more accountable. Because God loves you. He's not going to show you all of the things that he wants for you until you're willing to do it. You have to be willing to say, I'll do anything. Not put a narrow focus on it and say, I'll do anything within these confines. But God, I'll just do anything. What is your will for me? If you're willing to do that, God will reveal himself to you. I really believe that. God wants to use you more than you want to be used. But you've got to be willing and obedient before you eat the good of the land. And the Lord is just saying that you need to run up a white flag and surrender and say, God, here I am. I want to do something different. I want my life to count. I want to literally take all of the potential that you put on the inside of me and get it on the outside. I don't want to take any of it to the grave. I don't want to save up anything. I want to literally have, be able to say with Paul, I ran the race. I finished my course. I did everything that God called me to do. There's a lot of you in here tonight that can't say that. And you know, I believe that God has brought you here this week to bring you to a place to where you're willing to go anywhere and to do anything. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, there's some of you that have already made that commitment. But if you haven't made that commitment, if God's been dealing with you tonight and these things that I was saying about getting out of the boat, stepping out, quit being normal, taking the limits off of God, if that's spoken to you and tonight you're saying that God, I want to yield to you and I want to 
take the limits off and I want you to be glorified in my life. If you have not made that decision, I'd like you to stand right where you are and let me lead you in a prayer. And praise God, begin to start experiencing what God has for you. If that's you, I want you to stand up right where you are. And I'm going to pray for you. You know, I gave a similar invitation last night. I don't even remember exactly what it was. Some of you might have responded, but I know that the Lord is speaking this tonight to people who have not yielded yourself completely. You've put restrictions on how far you'll go and what you'll do. If you've been convicted and if you're willing tonight to take all of the limits off and say, God, I'll do anything. What is your will for me? I want you to stand and we're going to pray and I believe God's going to do a miracle in your life. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. And you know what? Some of you are thinking, oh man, what, God, what is God going to do? It'll be awesome. Somebody says, is he going to send me to a grass hut in Africa? You know, I had one of my good friends. I had one of my good friends grow up in a grass hut in Africa. And he said, what's wrong with that? He said, we had the nicest grass hut in the whole village. We had five chickens. Everybody else only had one. You know what? God, whatever God sends you, you'll love it. Amen. Ann and Leland are in Africa and they're living in hardship and yet they love it. They love it. Amen. Somebody's got to go to Africa. And if God sends you, you'll love it. Leland was telling the first lady of Africa, she says, I, he said, I love this place. He says, God's called me here. I believe I'm going to live and die in this place. And he's happy to do it because God put it in his heart. I promise you, you will never regret giving God total control of your life. God's plan for your life are better than your plans for your life. You know, I just feel in my heart that there's some people that God's dealing with that you haven't stood. You ought to stand right now. There's one, two. I know that there's some others. You need to respond right now. Somebody's thinking, well, I'm just going to sit down. And, but I, I mean it in my heart. The Bible says faith without works is dead. Standing is not a huge step of faith. I think that's the least you can do. I'm going to pray this won't work if you're seated. You got to stand, amen, for this to work. Praise God. Still people getting up. Father, I thank you for all my brothers and sisters here who have said that for whatever reason, they've put limits on how far they'll go and what they'll do. And Father, tonight, we just have been convicted that we need to get out of the boat of mediocrity, of being normal. Step out there and do what you've told us to do. Father, we make ourselves available. We want to be willing. We ask you, Father, that we just want to take the limits off of you. And whatever you say unto us, we want to do it. Father, if you want to send us to the uttermost parts of the earth, we'll do it. If you want to send us to our neighbor, we'll do it. Father, if you want us to just be bold and outspoken at work in our families, we'll do it. Father, we're taking the limits off of you. We want your will for our life. Whatever it is that you are speaking to everyone, we know that your plans for us are better than our plans for ourselves. 
And so, Father, we drop all of our walls, all of our defenses, and we give you absolute control to us and to our life. We make an absolute, unconditional surrender and just ask you for your direction now that you would speak to us and show us what you want. And Father, you said that you are faithful to keep that which we commit. We're making a commitment to be what you want us to be, to go where you want us to go. And we believe that you hold us to it, that you keep us to it, that you remind us of this, that tomorrow when we begin to get back into our old ways, that you'll bring us back and remind us that we are not our own, that we've been bought with a price, that we are yours to command. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we stand tonight and we make this commitment and I believe in the name of Jesus that this is going to begin a process of you working your will in our life that's going to change us and change all of the people that you want us to be a blessing to. Father, we just thank you by faith in advance that this is going to revolutionize not only our lives but our world that we live in that it's going to make a difference. And then praise God, when our time is up, our life will have counted. And Father, we're going to get the things that you've placed on the inside of us out. And we're going to see people's lives change. Father, we thank you for that. And we agree and receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You believe that? You agree? Awesome. Praise God. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. You know, this is coming out different than the way I'd thought I was going to minister it, but I'm trying to be responsive to the Lord. I believe that God is speaking to people and just, I believe that God's really touching some lives. This could be a a meeting that could change, I mean, a nation. If people here just made those decisions and yielded to God, it would certainly change your world your area of influence. It could radically change everything. If the Lord tarries, I believe 20 or 30 years from now, if I'm still around and going, which I plan on it, I believe some of you will come to me and say, do you remember that meeting at the Crown Plaza in Colorado Springs, 2010? God spoke to me and here's what's happened. And man, you're just gonna, you're gonna have some wonderful, wonderful things to say. You'll never regret making God the dictator, the controller of your life. I promise you. It's a good thing. If there's anybody in here who has not made Jesus your personal Lord, that's really the first step in turning your life over to the Lord. You can't do it yourself. You must be born again. And then once you get born again, you cannot go very far without the power of the Holy Spirit. People on their own don't think the way that I've talked about. You have to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He changes the way you think. You know, I wasn't in here to hear Barry Bennett this morning, but I heard testimonies about it, and he was talking about revelation knowledge. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit reveals things to your heart and goes beyond your head. You need the power of the Holy Spirit, which includes a lot of things, but it includes speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you need the Holy Spirit in your life. Is there anybody in here who'd say, I need one or both of those. I either need to make Jesus my Lord or I'm already born again, but I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues. Anybody in here like that? If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand. We want to pray with you and help you to receive. Anyone? 
We've already had, I don't even know, 50 or more people receive the baptism. Boy, you just are coming. You're ready. Hey, God bless you. Are you born again? So you're coming to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Great. Anybody else here want to come and receive? Boy, I like that attitude. See, she got out of the boat. And she's not waiting on somebody to beg her. You're going to receive. You're going to speak in tongues. Isn't this great? Anybody else here want to come and receive? I tell you what, you can't be a water walker if you aren't filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not normal. It takes supernatural power. You need something beyond yourself. And Jesus said, you receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Not before, after. You need this baptism of the Holy Spirit. It changed my life. You know, there's people that see me on television because I don't scream and shout. They don't realize that I'm a Pentecostal or baptized in the Holy Spirit because they just are used to those people being fanatical and spitting and saying, glory to God. And so there's people that come to my meetings not realizing what they're getting into. But I'm telling you, I speak in tongues a lot. I've spoken tongues a lot today. It's important. Whether you know it or not, you are at one of those tongue talker meetings. They are going to talk about you for being here, so you might as well get something. If they're going to talk about you anyway, you might as well receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I tell you, it's powerful. It'll help you. Anybody else? You know, I know in my heart that there's some people sitting out there that you don't speak in tongues, and for whatever reason, you aren't coming forward. Some of you probably feel like, oh, I've done this before. And I'm afraid that if I go up, nothing will happen. I can guarantee you this. If you don't come up, nothing will happen. You know, again, it's the exact same thing I spoke about tonight. There's some of you afraid to get out of the boat and try because you don't want to be disappointed. Man, I'd rather get out of the boat and try and be disappointed than stay in the boat and not be disappointed. You need to get out. You need to believe God. You need to step out. And you know, if you were a gambling person, the worst thing that could happen is that you come up here and get a free book. <laughs> That's not too bad. Praise God. But I believe you could also come up here and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and it could change your life. Anybody else? All right, is there anybody up here who's not born again? Before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues, you first of all have to be born again. You have to know for sure that Jesus is your Lord. Are you not sure? You are born again, or you want to be born again. You want to be. Isn't that awesome? Man, that's great. Anybody else here? If you aren't sure, then you need to be born again. Because when you get born again, you know something has happened. You, the scripture says you've passed from death unto life, and you know you have a witness in yourself. Is there anybody else? We're going to pray with these two because you've got to receive Jesus, the giver, before you receive the gift. Is there anybody else up here that isn't sure? I'm not trying to talk you out of your salvation, but there are just so many people that aren't sure. Here's another one. We'll pray with you. You need to be absolutely sure. You need to know for certain that you have been born again. Anybody else? Praise God. Here's another one. Anybody else? You know, if you were to stand before God tonight, and if he says, what makes you worthy to enter into heaven? What would you answer? If you point to yourself 
to anything that you've done and start trying to say it's because I'm a good person because I've gone to church, you would be rejected. Because the, any person up here at your very best is still a sinner and the wages of sin is death. The only thing that makes us accepted with God is not what you've done, but it's what Jesus did for you. So the only answer that will get you access to heaven is to say, it's not me, but I put faith in Jesus as my Savior. If you wouldn't have answered that way, then you need to pray and make Jesus your Savior. You need to quit looking to yourself to be saved by your own goodness. And you need to make Jesus your Savior. So anybody else want to pray for salvation? Praise God. So I'm going to lead these, I think it was four or five in prayer. And what I'm going to do is say the words that you need to say. This is based on Romans 10, 9. It says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Jesus has already paid for your sins. He's already made the sacrifice. It's not a question of will he do it? He's done it. It's will you make him your Lord? Will you confess him as your Lord? And if you are willing to do that and put your total faith in Him, then you'll be born again right now. I can guarantee it. Isn't that good? So I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I'm going to say the words that you need to say. And if you will repeat them after me and mean this from your heart, then you'll be born again. You'll become a brand new person. You'll pass from death unto life and God Himself will come live on the inside of you. Is that a good deal? Man, that's nearly too good to be true, isn't it? But it's true. So let's everybody say this. Just say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven in Jesus' name. Amen. You believe that? Amen. Did you believe that? You believe that? Then according to the Word of God, it says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you a whoever? Did you call on the name of the Lord? Are you saved? Amen. Isn't that great? You just experienced a miracle in your life. Hallelujah. And you know what? You're still the same on the outside. You're either a boy or a girl. Your mind is still the same, but in your spirit, you're brand new. You're totally changed. You're now as holy and pure in your spirit as Jesus is. I've got a book that I'm going to give you that will explain this and help you to understand it. And that'll never change. And so, according to the Word of God, every person here now has made Jesus your Lord. And in the Spirit, the Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what you, when these that just got born again, in their spirit, they were created to, for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. And so, now, all we got to do is just ask the Holy Spirit to come. We don't have to beg. That's what you were made for. You were created to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. So God wants to come fill you with His power. So we aren't going to beg. We're just going to welcome Him in. Open up our heart and ask one time. And I tell you, God's going to give you the Holy Spirit. Then I'd like to ask our prayer ministers to come up here. And these people are going to stand behind you. And after you ask, 
they're going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that by the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So we're going to ask and then they're going to lay hands on you and release the power of the Holy Spirit that's in them and they're going to release that into you. And then after that happens, I want you to quit asking. Sometimes people just keep asking over and over and over for the Holy Spirit to come. You need to believe. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we're just going to ask. They're going to lay hands on you. And then I want you to start thanking Him. Quit asking and take a step of faith and start thanking Him that He gave you the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like. When I received the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel a thing. But you know what? I believed and I got it. And I'm full of the Holy Ghost and I can speak in tongues. So we're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on. And then I want you to start thanking God. And at that time, when we... After we do this and you start thanking God, I want you to lift your hands like this because the Bible says that when you lift up your hands, you bless God. This blesses Him. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. It's just saying, God, I yield. And it blesses Him. God inhabits the praises of His people. So we're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on you. Then you're going to lift your hands and start thanking God. And those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to start praying in tongues because the Bible says when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks. So we're going to start thanking God for you having the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. And when we do, we want you to start speaking in tongues with us. And I hadn't got time to explain it. I'm going to give you a book that will explain it. But if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. The Holy Spirit won't take your mouth and make you talk. You will have to speak. And by faith, believe that it's the Holy Spirit that's inspiring it. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear somebody around you saying, but I promise you, your speaking in tongues is going to be different than anybody else's. You'll have a unique language. You can't say what others are saying, but it'll get you to talking. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. So you got to open your mouth and start saying something. And if, anyway, if you'll cooperate, I believe you're going to speak in tongues and we'll give you a book that'll help explain all this to you. Okay. Everybody understand what we're going to do? Praise God. The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak with a new tongue. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you that they are now all born again. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we open up this temple. We open up our doors. We welcome the Holy Spirit to come into our life and to fill us. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. We give you freedom. We want your power in this gift of speaking in tongues and all of the other gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want your power in our life. So we ask right now and believe that we receive. We lay hands on you and say, in the name of Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit. We loose this power and anointing to flow in your body in the name of Jesus. And Father, we just thank you that from this moment forth, we're God-possessed, that your power is indwelling us and flowing through us. Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Now, I want you to lift those hands and let's start thanking God. You can thank Him in English if you want to. Start out just thanking Him. Father, thank you that your word is true and that I am filled with the Holy Spirit that I now have the power of God. Those of you that know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues right now. Start speaking 
in this heavenly language that God gave you and pray in words that are bypassing your brain and coming straight out of your heart. And as we speak in tongues, you just join in with us. Quit speaking in English. You can't speak in English and tongues at the same time. Quit speaking in English and start saying words that don't come from your head. Don't worry about what it sounds like. When you first talk, it's like a baby. It's not very clear, but it'll, it'll become a full language. Your heavenly father knows what you're saying. Just speak, speak, let it flow out of you. It's coming out of your spirit, not out of your head. Thank you, Jesus. You may not know what you're saying, but I tell you, it's powerful. It's powerful. I promise you, it's the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You'll understand it more, but that's powerful. Man, the power of God is flowing down here. I think just everyone that I can see is speaking in tongues. Praise the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for this power flowing. We thank you that every one of these, that the Holy Spirit is flowing through them and releasing the life that is in their spirit. Father, thank you for this power coming out of them as they speak. Thank you for the hidden wisdom of God coming forth. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let me have your attention here a minute. Sorry to interrupt you, but man, I believe the power of God came on you. You know, some of you may not have felt a thing. When I first prayed in tongues, I didn't feel a thing. And I was actually disappointed because I was expecting this huge rush. And at first I thought, is this all there is to it? But you know, then I began to understand through the word what it is. And one of the reasons that speaking in tongues is so powerful is because it doesn't make sense to your brain. And if you just keep doing it, it forces you to get into faith. You do it because the Bible says these things. And I've got a book that talks about how powerful it is. And uh, I promise you that if you will just begin to do this and continue to do it, you got to get understanding. This will be a powerful gift. I speak in tongues just about every day of my life. It's very powerful. And uh, even if you didn't speak in tongues, I believe that God gave every one of you the gift of speaking in tongues. When I first prayed for it, I didn't speak. It took me three years to speak in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist. Amen. <laughs> but you know what? I got my questions answered and I've written them all in a book and I've had thousands of people that have gotten this book and understand it because of it. Now great things happen. And I want every one of you to get the full benefit, especially those of you that got born again. Man, isn't that awesome? You're never going to be the same. But you need to understand what's happened to you. So I've got a book that I want to give you. And if you would, I'd like to ask you to please uh, receive this book from us. Ashley over here is one that's got his hand up. And he's going to take you right across the hall into a room and give you a book. And if you have any questions, they'll pray with you. They'll answer your questions. If you need prayer for healing, they'll pray for you. And they'll minister to you. So if you would, just follow Ashley here. And let's go get this material. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great? 
Praise the Lord. Man, that's awesome. These are our prayer ministers. Y'all have heard me talk about Debbie. This is the woman that stood for her husband, Alan. And I tell you what, she's stronger than horseradish. She can pray. Amen. This is Angie. Man, she was telling me in lunch today. They are seeing miracles happen. They've been kicked out of a number of churches <laughs> because the pastor just didn't know. And I, here's the man that according to the doctors, one third of his brain is dead. He shouldn't be alive. He shouldn't be able to talk, walk, stand. They've got MRIs that they did. And he's, according to them, one third of his brain is still dead. And he looks pretty good for a dead man. I saw him driving a car today. You know what? All of these people here are people that operate in faith. Bonnie down there works for me in my phone center and she's probably prayed for more people than I've ever prayed for. She prays for thousands of people and sees great miracles happen. All of these people are people that are well qualified to pray. So I'd like to encourage you to please come and let one of our prayer ministers pray for you and help you to receive. Amen. So if you need prayer for anything, if it's physical, financial, emotional, if maybe you were one that was touched tonight and you just want someone to agree with you that, praise God, you aren't getting back in the boat, you're walking, then come forward. Let somebody pray with you. We're going to have people stand at the aisles that will direct you towards one of our prayer ministers. And if you'll let them pray with you, praise God, we're going to believe God for great miracles. Praise the Lord. Isn't this great? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the rest of you, if you need to go, you're free to be dismissed. We're going to stay and pray with these. And we've been seeing miracles. Last night, we had a woman healed of cancer. I gave that testimony briefly. We've been seeing great miracles. You're welcome to stay and pray with us. If you need to go, God bless you. Remember that we're going to be back in the morning at 9 o'clock. And it's going to be a great, great day. We'll be back tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. And we're going to have all of the kids. We've had over 250 kids back here. They're going to be giving a presentation tomorrow night. What time is that, Jamie? Is it at 6.30, 30 minutes before the evening service. So if you'd like to, please come and be a part of that presentation at 6.30 tomorrow night with all of the kids. It's always really good. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you and we just thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for changing our lives. Thank you that all of these people right now are receiving your power flowing in their body, flowing through their mind and emotions, through their finances. Father, thank you that the power of God is accomplishing whatever it is that you have for them, that we are receiving our inheritance here tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Father. Yeah, we need to get our Bible college staff and directors up here praying for people. Praise God. Yeah, come up here, Wayne. Cecil and Lisa, would you guys mind praying? Man, Cecil and Lisa Paxton have a tremendous healing ministry. See a lot of great things happen. Father, we just thank you and we receive these miracles now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
Praise the Lord. Somebody here broke your collarbone or, or shattered your collarbone, something like this. Somebody here's had a problem with your collarbone and it may have been a long time ago. I don't know, but here's a healing power. Is this you? Anybody else here that broke or shattered your collarbone? Anybody else? Father, for this lady right now, who is that? Stand up again and raise your hand so I can see who it was. Oh, here she is coming down the aisle. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just release your healing power to flow towards her right now. And whatever happened, whatever damage has been done to her collarbone, I speak the healing power of Jesus through that right now in Jesus' name. We command that to be healed. Father, if it's already healed and it healed incorrectly, I thank you that you are fixing it and that you are making her collarbone be normal, that there will be no ill side effects. But Father, she will be completely normal. We release that power. I believe that you gave that as a word of knowledge and I believe that you're healing this collarbone, whatever needs to happen. We agree and receive that in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody's got a problem right here uh, in your throat. I don't know what that is, but the Lord just showed me somebody's got a problem right here under your jaw. The bottom side of your jaw right here, you got a problem. I don't know what that is. Who is that? I want you to, if that's you, to stand and raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. Praise God. What's wrong with you? An enlarged something or another. Michael, lay hands on her right here. And in the name of Jesus, we just release this healing power of God and command whatever's enlarged right here to be healed in the name of Jesus. We command that anointing to flow. And Father, whatever is wrong, as Michael lay hands on her, I believe that your anointing flows through her and that she is healed right now and that this thing is over. In Jesus' name, we receive this miracle. Amen. <laughs> you know, as I was praying for her, I think that there's probably some people talking about an enlarged double chin. But that wasn't what we were praying over, amen. I don't know that you can pray over that. You just need to push away from the table some. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive this miracle. We receive these things happening now in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. How's this lady doing with her hearing? Is your hearing doing good? Improving? Do you have your hearing aid in? But you're, you can tell the difference. Praise the Lord. We prayed with her before the service and I had checked her out before I prayed and I, I talked in her right ear that was totally deaf and she couldn't hear me. And after we prayed, I talked and she could hear. She said it wasn't perfect, but she could hear. And there already a healing started in her body. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive these miracles now in Jesus' mighty name. You know, I'd like to ask everybody that's in here right now just to 
pray in tongues. Put your mind on the Lord and begin to start praying in tongues right now. Pray in tongues. Build yourself up on your most holy faith. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the Lord is speaking to me. For those of you watching over the internet, what that's all about, God just raised this group up right here to pray and intercede for you right now. There's some people watching on the internet that if God doesn't do a miracle, it looks like you're going to die. And there's somebody that was saying, I wished I could be there. I wished I could receive this prayer. The Lord just spoke to me to have all of these people start praying in tongues and agreeing for you. And right now, whatever is wrong with you, in the name of Jesus, we take all of this prayer and agreement and intercession and we put it to your account. We release the healing power of God. Praise the Lord. Man, the Lord just showed me there are some people in their homes all over the world that are being touched by the power of God. The anointing of God is coming into you and miracles are taking place in your body. Man, there is no distance with the Holy Spirit. I believe that the power of God is flowing into you and God is healing you right now. There's also somebody watching who you're in a financial crisis and I mean, you need a miracle. And it has to be a quick miracle. Right now, we take all of this intercession and we direct it towards you. And I believe that God is going to supply you with a supernatural miracle. You can go to bed and you can sleep and not worry because your miracle is in the pipeline and it's coming. God says He's going to be up all night long anyway. There's no reason for you to be up. Amen. Go to sleep. We cast the care about this over on the Lord and God is supplying a miracle for you financially. Father, I thank you. We agree and we send this towards those people. Somebody here is also in a relationship that it's just about to fall apart and you've been crying out in desperation. And here's God, first of all, ministering to you and building you up. And then as you operate in faith and get out of the depression and the discouragement and the fear, I believe that the power of God is gonna flow through you to your man. Praise the Lord. Here's somebody walking out of their wheelchair. Praise God. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. Father, we agree and we receive these miracles in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Father, we agree and we receive all of your power, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, the Lord shows me there's some people here that have tremendous pain in your feet. You know, I've heard that called neuropathy. There could be other things. There could be bunions, corns, or I don't know. But anyway, people that have pain in your feet, the Lord is ministering a healing towards you right now. Who is that? If you've got pain in your feet, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who it is that I'm praying over. Man, we get the whole thing in you tonight, right? Father, we pray for all of these now that are standing with their hand up. We release your anointing. And I command this pain in the feet to leave. Here's bone spurs being healed. 
Some of that pain was bone spurs, and here's those bone spurs gone. Pain is gone right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we command whatever's wrong, we command bunions to be gone, neuropathy to be healed. You know, related to this, somebody's got a sciatic nerve that goes all the way down your leg and into your foot that causes pain and numbness. Here's the healing power of God flowing to you. And we command all of this pain and this numbness to be gone now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Feet you be healed. Pain be gone and whatever it is causing that pain, you be healed right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Who in here has already felt the release from your pain? Is your pain gone? Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Here's another lady. Her pain's gone. She's stepping on her foot. Amen. Anybody else? Your pain's already gone. Here's some more over here. Two, three, four, five. Praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Boy, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. Thank you, Father, for healing these people. And thank you that it's over. This is not going to come back on them. Thank you that they are healed now, today, tomorrow, all of the time. Healed in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We receive these miracles in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. There's people that have been having back pain way down low in your back, like where your waist is. And you've had, uh, I don't know, anyway, back pain. Who's that that had the back pain low in your waist? Amen. You let Alan pray for you and I'll lead everybody else. If that's you, I want you to stand. Stand and raise your hand. Here's the healing power of God coming to you right now. Father, I release this anointing right now towards all of these. And we command these backs to be healed in Jesus' name. Pain, you leave them and get off of their body now. And anything that's been damaged, any damage to this, Father, I release your anointing to go right to the root of it, into muscles, into their spine, into discs. We speak healing over them. Pain be gone right now. Begin to move around right now and do what you didn't feel like doing. Bend in a way that you didn't feel like bending. Here's the power of God flowing through you. And as you move, here's that healing power of God setting you free. Father, we agree and we receive it right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Start thanking God for that. Believe that you're healed. Who in here has already seen your pain go? Here's a lady over here that the pain's gone. Here's another one. Who else? The pain's already gone. Here's a man right here that the pain's already gone. Here's one back here. Anybody else? And you know, even if you didn't feel the pain leave. God didn't just touch one or two people. God healed you all. And I believe that that pain is leaving. You're going to see yourself free of that pain in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you and we just praise you for all of these people being healed. Thank you for miracles taking place. Thank you, Father, that bodies are healed by the supernatural power of God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and receive all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Jesus. Well, it looks like everybody's getting prayer, so I'm going to let you go. Remember, we're back in the morning at 9 o'clock. Also, I haven't mentioned it much, but we have CDs and DVDs of these services already duplicated out there. So every service up to, through tonight is already duplicated. You can get them along with all of the other materials. Praise God. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>